was the first Quentin Tarantino movie that you watched? I think it was Pulp Fiction. I think it was. Um, but very close to the same time, I watched um, True Romance and linked them, you know, as the, as the screenwriter, uh, or as Tarantino being the screenwriter. And um, True Romance really knocked me out. Like Pulp Fiction obviously did for the obvious reasons that everybody else kind of feels. You know, it was like this new voice. And if you miss Reservoir Dogs, and a lot of people came to Reservoir Dogs through Pulp Fiction, and I'm one of those, but also True Romance. So those two together, I was like, wow, Mia Wallace and Alabama Whirly. Like I was just, yeah, I was knocked out by those gals. Now what about Kevin Smith too, if you're growing up on the East Coast? Oh yeah, I loved Kevin Smith. Okay, so yeah. So so sort of this whole like indie the whole filmmaker. 90s and, movement. Right, was like, okay. yeah. And, and Link later falls into that too. Sure. Yeah. Of course. <laughs> and did you ever envision when you when you saw those films that one day you'd be interviewing all the actors that he worked with? No. Was never was, something. I, no, I definitely wasn't thinking that way then. I was <laughs> I was a model actress. <laughs> uh, so I um, limited myself in that respect, I think. <laughs> um, and I have, have grown up into who I should be. Um, but yeah, no, I definitely didn't think one day I'd be sitting here talking about Quentin Tarantino and sitting with those fantastic people. Yeah. What made you decide to make the film? I and mean, you had already done a film about Richard Linklater. So I co-directed Linklater with Michael Dunaway. And we, so being, I spent a lot of time in Austin. Um, so I was familiar with, more familiar with Rick and his work because he kind of runs that town. You know, there's a lot of that. I was an extra on the Newton Boys. Oh, nice. Um, <laughs> uh, so when I heard that Michael Dunaway was doing this project, he was, he was kind of looking for a partner and I, and I happened to be at the right place at the right time. Actually, it was a Kevin Smith interview that we met that he was doing for Linklater. So that's how that happened. It was very organic and amazing. Um, and Michael has moved on to do other things and left me to do kind of, you know, move on with Tarantino on my own. But that's how that came to be. It was, it was very, natural and easy and awesome. So when you saw how much fun and easy the process was with the Linklater film, as, as a, being a co-director or writer on it, what made you think, you know, I want to do this one and I want to do it on my own? Well, I, um, I really, I've realized this as I've been talking about why I decided to move on to this, because it's not something I really thought about. You know, I just, I was like, oh, I'm, I love this, I'm doing this. Um, but the part that I really love about it was finding out things that are, are misunderstood, you know, and either debunking or digging deeper into. So for example, with Linklater, um, what we learned as we were talking to people, and even around Austin, what I would hear, oh, he's very laid back and he's very easygoing. And as we did these interviews, I was like, he's not, He's not laid back in that sense. Like he's very intense and knows exactly what he wants to do. And I found that fascinating. I was like, wow. I was like, this idea that people have isn't who that person is. Let, let's show that. Let's like really show that side of it and how that affects the filmography and where things come from. So to move into Tarantino um, on my own, I think I was 
really driven by the misunderstanding of his female characters. Um, and, and what I would hear again about Quentin was that he was very, um, he's very nice. And Quentin's very nice. And when you see him in interviews or the idea that we have of Quentin, nice wasn't the word that would normally come to mind. So I was like, what, what is that? You know, what is that? Where is that coming from? So digging into, um, we're not even digging into allowing people, what I love about this documentary, the, the, like not interviewing the director and sitting with people and his friends and colleagues and just letting them go and just discuss, you're like, oh, that's the real breath of Quentin. That's what that is. That's where it comes from. So, and obviously we'll get more into that, but that was for me really exciting. And to be involved with people that do what they love to do and are really good at doing. Like that's attractive no matter what industry, right? If somebody's really good at it, like, um, you know, watching the, the fastest person on the planet. Like you wanna watch that race. Like it's really thrilling to see people do what they're really good at and Quentin's a master of filmmaking. So yeah, I was really excited to, to move on into it on my own in that way. I understand you've been a sales agent for some time. You have Wood Entertainment? Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. At what point did you reach out to Quentin and say you wanted to make this movie? How was it? And what was the day like when you got the word? Oh, what day was that? I remember how I felt. I remember it was on the phone. I think I might have been in the car. Um, but it was Linklater, the Linklater doc had just come out, I think. And I was ready to, to move. You know, I really wanted to, to dig into Quentin. Um, and he was, I think he was still in production on Hateful Eight when we started. Because, he, so Quentin wanted to see the Linklater doc. He's like, well, who is this girl? You know? <laughs> so I was like, oh, here's a link. And they're like, no, Quentin doesn't watch links. <laughs> so we had to wait for the DVD to be printed. Because, uh, you know, and send him the DVD while he was shooting. And he took time to watch it, which is amazing. Um, but, in, uh, like, he just loves films. And that's just one of those things that proves, again, how much he does. Like, he'll stop in the middle of production and watch a film. <laughs> like, that's pretty amazing. Um, so he watched it and gave us his blessing. He said, he, you know, he loved that it concentrates on the filmography and not being an expose. You know, like, that. my interest is definitely not... Ooh, what's, you know, the, the, the juicy stuff that people don't know about Quentin. That, that's not exciting to me. Um, and obviously that showed in the Linklater documentary, which was great. So he, he allowed us to keep going or allowed us to move forward with, with his doc. Um, but I remember getting the information. I was like, oh, cool. So I can go. And there was probably like a half hour later where I was like, Quentin Tarantino watched my first piece and liked it enough to say yes. Like that, I just got chills. That was, that was very surreal. I was, and there's, there hasn't been another doc about him. Oh. And I doubt it's because of lack of trying from, sure. from other filmmakers, you know? So, so the slow realization of what that actually meant, like, I still can't articulate, I guess. It's, pre it's a pretty amazing feeling and how mm -hmm. special I, I felt, I guess. <laughs> I was like, wow, cool, I can do this. He liked my first film. And ultimately when I met him, he 
you know how he quotes um, from movies? Like he, he knows everything. Like everything stays <laughs> in his head. So when I finally met him, he quoted a couple lines from that Linklater doc. Oh, wow. And I think I almost fell off my chair. So I was like... <laughs> oh, my gosh. So, yeah. But he's just a lover of film. Like he lo he, all of it. All of it. Including my little Linklater doc. Yes, that's what I was wondering is when you got that call or where whatever it was, the text, that were you almost like, oh, no, now, like, this is really happening? Like, that came later. Scary? Oh, okay. Yeah, I would, <laughs> yeah. I'd be totally freaked out. That, that like, eventually came where I was like, this better be good. You know, like, I, I better do a good job. I better hold this carefully. Sure. Yeah. You know? But that wasn't initial. Initial, I was like, okay, I'm just going to do my thing. Okay, cool. Move forward. And then, yeah, that carried through the whole documentary. I would say that feeling of of holding it carefully, it, you know, because it just because these people are sharing really intimate details about their special relationship with this amazing director, and that was a lot. That was a lot to care for, you know. So through the entire process, it was very much like, how, how do I care for this individual person and what they're saying and, and, and pull out what's important to the Tarantino conversation as a filmmaker and as a person, right? Um, that, that feeling never went away. That, that was a constant like hold <laughs> of responsibility. Yeah, there is. There's a trust factor, and then if you don't want to break it, because then they may not want the interview out or whatever, and it is a lot of responsibility. Even even doing these, it's just you know people are willing to come and sit in front of yeah, you. Yeah, it's and a lot. Tell it's, you, yeah. Things. I don't think people necessarily get. You definitely give a lot of care to that, which is wonderful. Like I feel like I'm in good hands when when I sit with. I want people to feel the same way. You know, it's like, it's okay. And if you say something and you're like, oops, I shouldn't have said that, I'm not going to go put that on the screen. <laughs> that, right. You I think know? that's the big thing, that yeah. knowing that you're not going to go and try to, like, spin it because it'll get more right. of a reaction. So. Right. Especially yeah. in this, this uh, landscape that we're yes. in currently. <laughs> Definitely. And people look to misconstrue. And I think people are set up to mis misconstrue so that it does get more attention, you know. Yeah. If I'm understanding this correctly, then so Quentin didn't want to meet with you until the film was finished. Oh yeah. No, so part of that conversation with him and giving his blessing was that yeah he made it very clear that he did not want to meet me, and I was like oh I was kind of crushed. <laughs> I was like maybe I thought I could use him as a reference or actually to check things with him to make sure that I was doing things correctly. And he's like, no, no, no. <laughs> nope, we'll meet afterwards. Um, That's interesting. And he's 100% right, of course, of course, because he understands all aspects of filmmaking, including if he was part of it, it could be viewed as bias, right? And it would have been, especially after the things that have come down dur during making the film. Um, so he, he, was, he was absolutely right to not be involved. Thanks, Quinn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you started filming the first interview when? What year was this? I think it was late 2015. Okay. 
So different things have happened since then, different news items. Um, what was your feeling on including some things or maybe not including some things in the film? Uh, so um, while we were making the film, we were almost, we had a few more interviews to go. Um, and the Weinstein Company approached us um, to buy the film. And ultimately, we ended up doing that deal, um, mainly because I was like, well, this guy has been Quentin's partner through all of his films to date, you know, from Reservoir Dogs through at that time was Hateful Eight. Um, so it seemed to make sense, and we were going to finish it together. Um, and then things went terribly wrong. <laughs> um, you know, obviously outside of anybody's control except his, maybe. Um, but I, October 5th, right, the New York Times article dropped. Um, and... Where were you that day? Sorry, I didn't know. I, I, I was still laying in bed, and I was up, and I was going through the news, and, and I saw that. And we were already a little bit at odds, um, just because of them being who, who they are and how they do business. <laughs> so it was, it was very aggressive, you know? So we were already kind of having a hard time. So when this happened, um, and, and knowing the past and being a woman, um, when this came to light, I was like, oh, yes. Oh, no. <laughs> My film. Like, now what? So it, it was a year-long battle to get the film back and get the rights back. Um, and it, it was definitely very difficult uh, f for the film and for the, for the nuts and bolts of that. Um, and as a woman, it was, it was really, it was a really, um, it was very lonely, because <laughs> uh, nobody wanted to help once that yeah. happened, you know, it got very quiet. Sure. So, and I, I feel that's true for women on the personal side. So th there was a lot of crossovers personally and business-wise where it was very like, wow, like the, the, the feelings that go along with, with that. I know I'm being vague and I, I kind of apologize for that, but yeah, I, it's, understandable. Um, it's, it's, it was just, a, it was a very difficult, dark, lonely year, but uh, fighting for the film, especially after doing most of the interviews at that time and learning about Quentin and learning about him and how he feels about social issues and women in general, um, I was like, I have to fight for this film. Like, I have to, or else it's just gonna fall into the abyss. I don't even know how many other films are still caught up in filmmakers. Like, it's not, I don't, I, most of them have not gotten their films back. Mm. Um, so I fought very hard. It was a very hard battle, um, but ultimately we won, so it's a great story, yay. <laughs> um, and then we had to revisit um, how we're gonna and the film, because we had interviewed with Bob Weinstein, Harvey was supposed to be involved. Harvey was always part of the conversation because it was Harvey and Quentin, and we're sure. talking about his filmography. Of course you talk about Harvey and his participation in that. Harvey was the one who took a chance on Quentin. So that's very much a part of the story, and now that changed. Right, well, the, now the story had to change, and Quentin now is out.
with regard to that, right? That partnership was done. So we had to address it, and I, I hope I, I took care of it. I tried to present it without side, like this is what happened, and then we, and then we move on. Um, so there was a lot of decisions from what started out as this amazing, I got this great project and everybody's supportive and everybody's showing up. You know, Sam Jackson shows up and he's like, I called Quinn. He said to show up. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> you know, to all of this horrible stuff happening. And now, but now we're back, right? So now, now we're up and we're going and we're going to finish the film. And, and, and again, now you're caring. You're like, okay, <laughs> what do I do with this? Right? And you figure it out, and it's hopefully it's well done. And it had been in all the trades that the Weinstein Company had picked up the film, correct? Yes. So it was then, everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it was a big deal. It was a big deal yeah. for you know because it was a Tarantino doc and his association with Quentin. But then all these other filmmakers that are caught up in the same issue on the business side, right? And then again, the whole other conversation which overlaps for, for Quentin and Uma had issue, Rose McGowan, um, hit Mira Sorvino, who you know, was Quentin's girlfriend back then. Um, you know, pieces of that had come out. Um, it, it, was, it was crazy, it was crazy. And as much as you try to separate it, it's very entwined for everybody, personally and business-wise. So. And, and it, set off basically this new Me Too movement, essentially, of, of many people coming forward, and not just women, but men as well, and, and so now it Thankfully. has a whole new yeah, conversation. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, are you okay with talking about because you decided to pull the film from them, or do you not, if you don't want to talk about it, we don't have to. No, sure. Okay. Um, when you decided to pull the film and look for a new distributor, um, what was the reaction? from people in the industry. So, okay, so when I, when I did get the film back, there were definitely mixed responses um, when I went back into the marketplace to find another distributor. Um, ultimately, I decided to partner with Entertainment Squad, who's Shikhead Berenson, who came from Epic, Epic Pictures. Uh, we partnered and, and we're putting it out. So eventually I was like, I'm done with these conversations. <laughs> Because there was, there was definitely a lot of fear, um, especially since I included the, conver the conversation. Um, so, yeah, so when I re-entered the marketplace with it, it was, it was very mixed. Uh, some people were like, well, why don't you pull that out? You know, why don't you just not have that conversation in the documentary? Because what does that really have to do with Quentin's filmography? I had a really hard time being like, oh, that totally makes sense. I should take that out. It, it didn't. It just didn't make sense. So I was like, I'm, I'm gonna do what I feel is the truth. Sure. Um, and present that, and we went a different way with the distribution, which is really exciting, so. Right, it's just interesting, because I've known a few other documentary filmmakers who were in the middle of a film and a scandal broke, and for them not to put it in the film would just be like, it, it, I mean, I get not totally focusing on it, having it at the main crux of the movie, but it just wouldn't work. Like, they would be so severely criticized for not at least saying something. It, right, so, so then there's that. There's, right. So you're damned if you do and damned if you don't. So 
was like, well, here it is, and you do what you want with it. That, that's how I feel it comes across in the documentary. This is what happened. <laughs> you know, feel however you want about, and it, it, that's been very mixed too. Um, the reaction from women obviously is, wow, that's really great that that's in there. But then there's the next step. I didn't know Quinn was such a women's advocate, <laughs> you know? I didn't realize that his characters were written from, from this feeling rather than what he's accused of or being abusive with his actresses or his characters or what have you. So I, I hope that women revisit Quinn's filmography with a different eye. I, I, I know, well, I, always, I was always there, I think. But, you know, a lot of women have been turned off by, you know, the blood and the violence and the this and that. But if you, again, with all of that stuff, when you understand where all of that is coming from with Quinn, he, he's, it's not, as Sam Jackson says, to scratch his nails on the blackboard. He doesn't do that. It, it all comes from a very, it, it's a much deeper place. Um, and I think women should revisit. I think they'll really dig some of these characters. I mean, Uma, um, Uma's character in Kill Bill, um, whichever, the bride, Beatrix, whichever name you want to choose to call her, but the bride story is amazing. You know, she was, she was raped, her child was taken from her. She's got all these issues going on and, and she's like, <laughs> I'm gonna get rid of those people. So he takes it to an extreme, but he takes that emotion to an extreme. And it's really, it's a great ride, but it's much more meaningful. It shouldn't be written off. Women need to revisit and really look at them. Any advice for filmmakers who are in the middle of a film or even at the tail end of one? Filming, whatever, editing, and something newsworthy happens and their choice and, and how they're gonna be criticized either, either way. Um, I wrestled for months with it, like literally sat down and stopped editing. I was like, what am I gonna do with this? <laughs> um, and, I, and I went back and forth because you have your own opinions. And wait, my advice would be to wait until you realize that you're not inputting your opinion and you're just presenting. And it should be included. Possibly. I mean, it's obviously case by case, but if it's something that's, uh, like in this case, that, that's so important to that story and, that, and Quentin's filmography here specifically, it does apply to include it. But I had to wait until it was clear, right? So I, I didn't want to present my opinion of it. That would have been a very different documentary and would have skewed it. So as a documentarian, you, you really have to make sure that your mindset has settled and you're delivering it as it is. Yeah, one of the filmmakers that I talked to that encountered a very big scandal and was in the middle of their film, they used headlines to show because, it, it, I mean, they, they couldn't not I, I used headlines actually. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay. And that, that was a way to just show that mm -hmm. this was not well, you, was, it was not your opinion. It was what was out there in the exactly. public knowledge. Yeah. And then you gotta be careful which headlines you choose too. You know, the way, the way they're written. 
are you are you throwing this in people's faces or are you you know make sure it's again this is just me i want to make sure that it was when somebody said something and that's the headline that's what they said right now i guess i'm jumping into uh fake news out there <laughs> yeah be careful not to pick the fake news right um but i guess that's true you know that's tough that's really it was really hard that was a very very difficult decision and then making the decision how do you tell it right i chose not to have like a, a voiceover like it's all the actors speaking there's no voiceover in the in the film so we chose michael madsen's telling of what happened to go over that montage wow. right and we used footage that we've seen before from quentin's films under it so that you're you're looking at the same thing differently right so with regards to that story specifically again with Harvey and Quinn well this was going on at the same time that these were going on mm like a timeline right? mm -hmm. so then there's that then there's the device you use to tell the story what were the first steps to making this film oh, the first steps to making a documentary about somebody else that <laughs> they're not going to be in by the way that they're not right <laughs> there there's a um Deciding not to interview the director is interesting because it's like when you meet someone and you're like, "Oh, I might want to date that person or I might want to get I might want to get into business with that person." Like, what do you do? You ask about them, right? You ask friends, you ask colleagues, you cut and there's kind of an innocence to to the way that comes out, you know? Um not knowing somebody and trying to find out, right? It's like that. So I really liked I really like that angle. Um I'm a little off though. So um with your question. Oh. Um uh, so he, did he had he, he supplied you with with whom to contact or or you No. Oh okay. No no no. He was so Quinn was very hands off. He said, "Yes, you have my blessing. If people call me, I'll tell them that I support it." Like that was as far as he was going to go. That was it. Mm. Um and they you know i don't know if everybody called it, it didn't come up all the time but every now and then it did you know some of you be like oh yeah i called him oh you know so i knew it, it was happening sure. um but it, he no there was no list there was no you should talk to these people now when i did sit and talk you know with um for example Eli Roth he's like you have to talk to Scotty Spiegel like Scotty Spiegel was not on my radar right and Scotty ends up being like he is so funny He's so funny. He brought so much life to the documentary and great stories and great insight and they have the long history together. So we found out that way, like who we should talk to or who yeah. So it it was very um it felt very pally. You know, it was really nice. It was really nice. And would you meet these people at their office, their home? Like how did you have a designated spot to do the interview? We did have a spot. Um some people didn't want to go to Santa Monica or some didn't want to leave their home they'd prefer to do it at their home some people definitely were like no I don't want anybody in my home I'm going to come to you so it was it, whatever worked for them we that's what we did and we made it as easy as possible would you give them the questions beforehand um yes if they asked for it 
Some did, some didn't. It was, it was, really, it was very lax. It was, it was very, however you want to do this, that's how we'll do it. Whatever you want me to not touch on, we won't touch on that. Um, nobody ever shut anything down, actually. That's, that hasn't come up as I've been talking about this. Yeah, that was really interesting. There was no, I'm definitely not talking about this. Ah, there is, <laughs> there is one thing. I hope you don't ask me anything about his foot fetish. Ah, I've seen that in the comments. <laughs> that yes. has definitely come up in the comments. <laughs> yes. I think somebody was very upset that we didn't mention his foot fetish. But if they didn't talk about it, well, you know, if they didn't bring that up, I wasn't going to. Sure. sure. <laughs> you know, that, I don't think that necessarily applies to his filmography, except he does have great shots of women's feet, I have mm -hmm. to say. Okay. And once upon, have you seen Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yet? We have, yeah, it's great. So with um, with Quali, is that her name? Uh, yes, uh -huh. what's her Margaret Quali. Margaret Quali, Andy McDowell. When she's yeah, say, yeah. Uh -huh. when she's smashing her feet up against the yes. windshield, I think it's adorable. That is right. And it lends to her <laughs> so character cute. too, and and the the awkwardness of the driving, and you know they're on the the road or whatever. Yeah, that's true. That is. A or actually, scene. Mia Wallace when she comes out in her little black capris and he shoots from her feet. When she walks in, she's about to turn on the, the recorder. It's right before she overdoses. Oh, but it's okay. just a shot of okay. her feet. Interesting. And how she walks in and kind of smashes her feet into the carpet. Hmm. It's pretty cool. For a fetish, that's yeah, it works for him. Right. It's taste. That's PG <laughs> PG thirteen. It works. Fetish. Yeah. <laughs> With your film on Richard Linklater, did you include him in the movie? No. You didn't. Okay, so this is the no, second film. Th those, yeah, th that's def from the beginning. That has been how I, I wanted to present these. Interesting. And yeah. why why do you think that works um, to not have the artist? That is, is it too much? It's going to be too biased then to have I think, the artist. I think it's just a different take. There's plenty of documentaries that that do. And we sit and we listen. Uh, Quinn actually said, you know, how boring to listen to somebody else talk about themselves. I didn't feel that necessarily, you know, because I, I love to listen to people talk about their, their filmography or their life or whatever. You know, it's, it's fascinating. But for, there's plenty of documentaries that, that do that. This I wanted to really be just fresh and fun and... Again, it's it's like innocence. It's very open, you know. It's it's opinions, it's experiences, and, and you learn through those, right? If somebody came in and said, "Yeah, but this is me," and it, it pulls the direction in, a, it, it pulls it differently. So now you're like, "Oh, then we just have to listen to you, and you're the final word," right? You don't get all those. I wouldn't be able to sit and tell you how I am or who I am and why necessarily, but I bet my husband could, <laughs> you know, in a different way. Sure. Or my mom or my sister or colleagues or, you know, it's just a very different, softer approach, I think. What are your thoughts on when an artist's work stops being about the work and it's now about the artist? I mean, because now people, it seems like when you get to the level of, of a Quentin Tarantino, Linklater, whomever, it's no longer like, wow, this is a great film. It's, oh, it's their film. So now you're going to judge it through the previous films or any news or whatever. And now it, they're under a new set of criteria that no longer has to do with the story. That's interesting. 
I think some I think some people directors might be skewed that way and it, I guess it depends on which angle you're coming from like do you see their stamp because you know it's their movie because they have a certain style what have you that's who they are right so you're gonna see that the other side I guess would be placating into that um, Right? Is that kind of where you're asking? Like, when does it be, when do they shift or when do we shift as yeah, an audience? That's a good question, actually. That's a good question of my question because I was thinking <laughs> it's more about the, the, they're up against critics, they're up against people that love their work, and they're up against attractors, which is going to definitely come at that level, whether it's valid or not, you know, especially in the film world. There's a lot of people that are vying for these certain spots, and because there's so few of them, it lends itself to a lot of like trying to take people down, you know, a couple notches. You know, I, I, I could speak to it this way, I think. Um, I think as a filmmaker, you have to consider your audience, right? And there's, and, and then there's a responsibility in that, like what do they expect and where does that meet your art, right? And I'm sure that's a very difficult balance for, for directors or, or anybody at, at that level. I, I think Quentin very much respects his audience and loves his audience. He's a fan himself. So mm -hmm. if he's watching um, a, a Bruce Lee film, I suspect that he wants to see certain things from him, right? Because of his love for him. So I, I would hope that they relish in that without succumbing to their own press, right? Sure. And, and the audience, you know, we have a, we've got a tough crowd with the audience. They could be rather fickle. <laughs> they can, yeah. They and can. they can have their own reasons for being fickle, you know? We've seen different directors that have had one hit after another, and then unfortunately something doesn't take, and then... It's just like a feeding frenzy, mm. and it's not warranted, in my opinion. But, and then there's the the whole thing of movie critics, and are those critics actually filmmakers, or are they connoisseurs of, of right. cinema, but they've never actually done it, right? And so who's, you know, anyway, that that's another conversation. But I was just curious because at that level, it's so much. I mean, he's become, you know, just the same as Kevin Smith or whoever. It's it's about oh, well, this is a Kevin Smith film, or mm -hmm. this is a Quentin Tarantino. It's not, like, the people don't see it with eyes of just, this is just a film. Wow, I really like the story. I've, I've heard that about uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood a little bit, because he really just goes and... After doing this documentary and watching that, like, I'll go back to why I wanted to do the documentary to begin with. Like, watching people do what they're really good at, what they love, is amazing. And I see that all over that film. He loves Los Angeles, mm -hmm. and you see the love for Los Angeles in the film. Right. You know, he loves the what if scenario. You definitely see that, <laughs> you know. Um, so it's a great film, and it stands on its own without having a Tarantino knowledge before, right? It's still that's a beautiful true. film. Mm -hmm. um, I think that's why he also says, I'm only doing 10. Hmm. I think he's cutting off again because I think he's brilliant with regard to all aspects of filmmaking, including this. He doesn't want to be the old man director. Mm -hmm. He doesn't want to be, uh, I think Eli Roth digs into this a little bit. 
you know, he's and, and Tim Roth, actually. Uh, they like he's only doing 10. He wants to stay fresh. He wants to say, you know, and, and maybe that's maybe that's part of the reason. Maybe like he doesn't want to be judged at that at that point or he doesn't want to m make those mistakes. I don't know. It's interesting, interesting to think about, though. Right. But he's definitely stopping. He's definitely, you know, he's how fascinating is that? And this isn't like one of these farewell <laughs> tours where like so-and-so this is the last one. <laughs> he doesn't seem like the kind of guy to, to mince words. You know, he's sure. very he he kind of sticks to his his he, he has his idea of something and he executes it. And that's how he feels. I, I don't think he's changed much uh, in that way. You know, he's, he's never apologized for, oh, you, oh, was it too much violence for you? <laughs> Did I say mm -hmm. the N word too much? Did I hurt too many women? Did I, you know, there's, no, he's like, no, it's a story. That's where it lives. Well, and he owns it. Sure. Well, it's like Howard Stern show. If you're going to tune in, you know what you're going to get. <laughs> you know what you're getting. And it's, yes. it's, it's not for children and, and you're going to laugh at times and maybe you'll be offended at others, but you know what you're getting. And so don't watch it. Don't listen if you don't want that. I don't know. That's just my opinion. And yeah, but, uh, but people definitely love to go in there and judge it though. They, they, they? sure do. <laughs> well, a, a, a quote I think from Howard, and I think this is something that you had told me, David, was that, that his haters watch the show more often or listen to it than the people that oh, actually Oh, just to him. sit there and be offended. Right. I just want to sit so. here and be offended over and over again so I have something to complain about. I have said this about East Coasters because I'm from there, so don't judge. <laughs> um, you know, coming out to, for, in Texas for a while and coming out to California, oh, like, you know, what do East Coasters like to do? Like, what's like the pastime, whatever. It's like complaining, mm. complaining. Like, they love it. They love it. They love it. <laughs> Well, if the weather's always goes. cold, yeah, you got to stay inside, do something. Which so. <laughs> is ornery because of the snow. Mm. Were there any interviews for the film that you could not secure? So you, there are definitely interviews that um, I, I wanted to be included in this that didn't, for whatever reason. Um, Uma definitely visited and tried to be a part of it, and for ever, whatever reason, um, I think we've seen reasons as to why we can make our own opinions, there's probably others. She ultimately declined, um, but she's very present. <laughs> um, I, Lawrence Bender, I, I definitely would have liked to include as his longtime producing partner. Um, and I'm, you know, everybody has reasons, scheduling issues with, uh, unfortunately, John Travolta. I believe that's what happened there. Mm. Um, and with DiCaprio and Pitt as well. Uh, but at the same time, I mean, I have a list of people that I would have loved to have in here. Um, it, I guess, thankfully, I couldn't get everybody. I'd still be shooting oh, <laughs> one. Okay. And how long would this documentary be? So Tarantino has a very large community and very wide net. And there's any part of him can be dug into deeper. I mean, we mentioned the music, how he uses music in the documentary. We mention it. We, we point to it. But we didn't even have time to talk about that. And that's huge. That's huge. Or, um, I mean, th there's so many parts of him that we could have gone way deeper. And that goes with the people, too. So we did, we did the best we could. <laughs> but Lawrence Bender, I definitely would have, definitely would have, I think we miss him a little bit. Yeah. 
Quentin did an interview where he said he just really loves when he looks at the film and he realizes it's all like goes back to him with the pen and paper, <gasps> just kind of writing and yes. started there and then has become this big thing. How is this for you when you think about these two documentaries with these two legends, filmmakers that you love, just started with you watching their films, being a film lover, what, what, what magic can you take from that little statement that, that Quentin's talking about? Yeah, I, I feel with these, with these documentaries, um, now I'm working on a, a narrative, okay. so that's, that feels like, oh, you, you know, you have these moments like, oh, I can see this character and I can see this and I can see that. With, with, the, with the documentaries, it's, it's so much more not me because they tell the story. So I, I think my magic moments come from what are they going to say? You know, and really, because they, t I don't tell this story. They do, right? So you go in and you sit down and you're like, how's this going to go? Sure. <laughs> right? And then you do that with, I think we had 15 or 16 interviewees on this. Um, so it's very much like a, what's going to happen? What are they going to present so that we can go back and have fun with Quentin Tarantino, you know? So it's very off of me. It, it, it comes. <laughs> I see what right? you're saying. Right, it's less so personal. It's, it's, it's yeah. much mm -hmm. less, but yeah, it's, sure. it's definitely not about what am I gonna do, right? Because they tell me. That's how I feel about this. Like, they, they tell the stories that, again, going back to Richard Linklater, what was amazing is to find out that uh, Keanu Reeves said it. There, there's no slacker in this slacker, right? <laughs> I saw that part in the trailer. Like yeah. it's great. I'm like, yeah, like he's he's not what people think he is, or there's more to what people think he is, you, you know. So that's really fun to unravel, and that's that's the magic for me. And the, and with Quinn, he's yes, he's this big, huge personality, but he's also really intimate and brilliant and specific, you know? Uh, so that was exciting to come out and then the different ways you they tell you that and then how we bring that around to the way he shoots something or the, the reason there's blood all the way over there and not just right here, you know, like what makes Quentin, Quentin. And it's like weaving all of that together, so. That's the magic for me, if that answers you. It does. And <laughs> sorry I, for going way. with that. I know it was a sort of like, wait, is this a real question? What is this right here? That's cool though, because that's it's um I think it's different. I think it's different. That you know, a lot of people go out for a documentary with an intent, you know, or very specific, you know, the water is bad in Flint, right? So we're gonna find out why and how that affects people and blah, blah, blah. So you're going this way. I feel with, with this documentary comes the other way. It ah, comes around. Interesting. Yeah. Right. When you did your film on Richard Linklater, what happened once the film was out? How did people, especially in the Austin area, react because he's sort of Austin's darling? Not sort of it, he is, you know, Austin's darling, aside from Robert Rodriguez. Yeah, I, um, when Linklater came out, there was a lot of 
There are mixed reviews. I think when you're a first time filmmaker, <laughs> people are maybe a little bit harder. You know, they don't know what to expect. It's kind of the opposite of what we were just talking about, right? So they don't know what to expect. Um, people are revisiting that film and I'm getting a much different response this oh, time around because they kind of understand now why, you know, I got so much flack for not interviewing the director. Oh my God. Like as soon as they knew that, like that was it for them. They're like, they're out. You don't interview the director. It's not the definitive documentary. Interesting. Well, what is the definitive documentary on somebody in 90 minutes? It, you know, like who, what is that? And if it's not this, that's okay. <laughs> but this is what this is. So people are revisiting that and seeing it differently, which is really nice. It's, um, it's interesting though. It, it is, it, yeah. Yeah. I, I think it could have um, done a lot better. More people should have seen that. It's fun. On Rick, you mean? Yeah. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. And so knowing that, that that was something that was said, that that, that, per, that the subject, quote unquote, actual subject of the documentary is not in it. People were mad at me about mad. that. <laughs> people were mad. Like, how could you not, how is it a documentary if you don't interview him? Well, but what I find interesting, interesting is that we're doing a documentary on somebody who's still alive and working. Right. I mean, I just saw one on Miles Davis and he wasn't in it. You know, he, exactly. there, there might have been some old footage. Exactly. Definitely. Um, but it was about the music and it was yeah. about the people that knew him and some of the troubles that he dealt with. And it was fascinating. So, you it's know, just it's just different. Yeah, it's just different. <laughs> I mean, there's different ways of showing things. And if you're doing only the person that it's on, then it's like... It's a Mike Wallace interview, and you're, you know, you know, and nothing against Mike. His it's stuff very, was great, but yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's just very different. Mm -hmm. um, was it Francis Ford Coppola that uh, his documentary just came out? Is that the where it's him talking about all his films? Oh, I didn't know that. No, I'm not aware of that one. Hope I'm not saying that incorrectly. Um, that's very interesting too. There's different it's styles. It's very different. Yeah, there's different styles. So, uh, you know, there's verite. There's different, and then there's including. The person in it and then there's not and the story is going to be maybe somewhat different I mean we all see ourselves differently than other people see us so and I find that fascinating right why not have yeah. other people tell the story yeah what did studying Quentin Tarantino teach you about storytelling <laughs> what did Quentin teach me about storytelling that the His, his attention to detail on every level, I, 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 think that's what, I think that's what Quinn taught me. Like, you have to pay attention to everything. It's all important. Um, the fact that he has the kangaroo from Pulp Fiction on the shelf in Jackie Brown and I believe in Hateful Eight, those little, those little things, um, not only is it cool, but it's um, it's cool here, you know. You're like, oh, because <laughs> that kangaroo meant so much back then um, in Pulp Fiction to bring to bring it now and gives the viewer something to look for, look forward to. Um, 
I mean, that's his type of thing. But uh, uh, what's another example of, of the detail? The um, Oh, like uh, Uma's shoes, her little Tiger Asics, which I've got little white ones on. <laughs> um, on the, when she walks across the glass, I think it says fuck you on the bottom of it, <laughs> or fuck off, one or the other. Like th little things like that, that speaks to her character, it is amazing. You don't notice as it floats by maybe, but we still pick it up as humans, right? Our brain still, maybe not the fuck you on the sneaker specifically, but the attention to detail shows, right? Um, I should think of another good example of that, but he's, th there's nothing out of place in a Tarantino script or a Tarantino film or even in his marketing. I mean, he's a master pretty much across all aspects of filmmaking. Um, and I think, I think that's what I learned about what I hope to carry with me is the attention to detail. And then there's also the part of Quentin where people want to hear him speak. He's his own. It's the same with like Kevin Smith, where like they're so fascinating to listen to. They are fascinating, and, and that's not true with a lot of directors. But those two, yes, and definitely right. Quentin. Like there's no subject that well, they're, you're not going to get. Well, he loves it so much. He lo again, when you're listening to somebody or watching somebody do what they love to do or talk about something that they love, and they're that knowledgeable about it, it's you're just engrossed. It's it's amazing. He's fantastic. It's a, you don't, so here's a great example. I'm not an F1 fan, right? I don't follow it. Senna's my favorite documentary. I love that documentary. It's so good. I don't care about the racing, right? So th this is why I like revisiting Tarantino films, whether you're a fan or not, to, to sit and just look at the majesty that he creates is fascinating. He, he's, he's just fascinating. And, and you had said something in an interview that he pays attention to detail and he'll go, I think you use the example of a pub and listen to people speak. Mm. How much research did you put in on Quentin and also on Rick? Just, just you were already a fan of their films, you, you knew their work, but I mean, how much more were you, were you doing? Um, not a lot, actually. Uh, and I was very specific not to. I watched their films. Um, I didn't want to know about personal stuff. I didn't want to dig into, I, I didn't want to know that stuff. Um, so again, going back to that innocence and the, um, the, the stories to come out as I sat with people, I wanted that to be fresh to me and what, and what resonated so that I, if I heard that in the news somewhere else or read it somewhere, it would have been, I feel like, diluted. So I was, I was very careful to not or I fought, I should say, I, I fought not looking at certain things, right? Because there's great, there's great books um, um, on Quentin and, and on his style and on his history. And I, I almost did. I was like, maybe I should be better informed. But it's somebody else's opinion of. And I just kind of wanted whoever I was sitting with. I wanted theirs. I didn't want another opinion to, to, to be in my brain or something to be said, and I've heard it elsewhere, so I dismiss it, right? So I was, I was very careful to not do too much research. <laughs> yeah, I, I find that interesting because it's sometimes very helpful in getting the best out of someone because there's a sense of discovery with it. If you know too much, and then again, the personal life, 
I find that clouds I mean, we know too. just being in the world, mm-hmm. you hear about Quentin Tarantino, right? Sure. So there's already enough there that you almost have to, you know, put your muffs on to not hear about him when a film comes out or, or what have, or people talking about filmmaking ever in general. Or Daily Life actually comes out. Uh, so there's definitely there's enough out there about Quentin. I, I didn't want to I didn't want to flood more. Right. Yeah, I have sins. Yeah, it's fine. As afterwards, soon as it's done, yeah, I know, I'm like, but not. I'm going to eat it all. <laughs> right. But in the moment, yeah. I, I agree. I think that sometimes yeah. knowing who someone's spouse is or whatever, it clouds the interview because now you have that in your mind. If you don't know that personal stuff, then you, now you're just talking about the work. If that's what you're there for. If you're there right. for something where it's more personal, then I, it would be different. But if it's about the work, I, I agree. I think that would be so. A great tricky. example actually is with regard to Uma. So there's so much in the news about Uma. And after the, the car accident, oh, they've, they've fallen out, they hate each other. There's, there, there's so many different stories about that relationship. And when the truth came out from Uma, <laughs> it was, okay, that, that, that's what the truth is, right? So, and actually she came out and said something out post the Weinstein stuff. I don't have issue with Quentin. I, so, you know, I have issue with the fact that the footage was, was withheld from me. Oh. Right, and I, they had a falling out. It was a terrible thing that happened, um, and life happens, right? Sure. But mm-hmm. they have since come back to each other, and they're they're friends and mm-hmm. what have you. So, if I did do too much investigating into into that story, there's a lot of conjecture out there about it, and it, it may have skewed how I took what I learned in the process. Right, and also even reading comments, I think, can, can skew. Because yeah, sometimes you're not sure, where is this person someone on the inside? Is it just some person that's delusional? That, who actually you know, is close to that person, right. where they have the correct information? Mm-hmm. Who, who, yeah. The there's there's a lot of too. voices right, right. In, in the world today, especially with social media and such. That So then your advice maybe for another documentarian is... Go in, but don't don't go in blind, of course. But then don't go in maybe with too much because it's better for the discovery. I think so. I think so. With regard to people, right? Mm, um, that's a good point. Right. If you're documenting, uh, if it's a historical documentary or something like that, that's much different. Obviously, I'd read everything on that subject, right? And then you balance out everything you take in. But um, I think when it comes to people... Uh, we're not, our culture isn't very respectful of that. So in order to be respectful, I think you need to hear it from, from the person, right? I don't think the, uh, the research applies <laughs> necessarily. How did you structure the interview with Samuel L. Jackson? <laughs> How did I structure it? Well, we always started with, um, when you hear Quentin Tarantino what first comes to mind for you? What are the words and the feelings? So he started there, and I think he almost fell off his chair. <laughs> He's like, Quinn! Uh, and it was probably three minutes of <laughs> words and feelings that come to mind with Quentin Tarantino. Um, so we, we started there. Um, how do we structure it? Um, you know, we, we did work for, I wish I could remember the list of questions we had for him specifically, but we definitely had a, a list. Um, 
how, how he met Quentin, how that changed as he got to know him. You know, how is he different on, because Sam uh, auditioned, auditioned for Reservoir Dogs. So, so I did know that, right? So how was that first experience in meeting Quentin different from now as a person, as a person and how is he different as a filmmaker? Um, and that really framed the, uh, the interview and a lot happened in that frame. So he was great. <laughs> he was great. Once you got the footage back, uh, did you you have an editor that was working on it, or did you edit the film? Oh no. Oh okay. You had an editor. I had. A, yeah. Okay. Were you sitting with them and trying to make sense of yes this like eight years and so many voices and yes. So um, uh, sitting down and going through the footage, uh, and, and then you learn you learn again. You, you see things and hear things that you didn't catch while you're sitting live. Um, you, you start to see the what's repeated um, ab about Quentin specifically like the uh, th that's where that's where the magic happens for me is where you start to see the repetition of who this person really is and how and where it overlaps uh, and that was we I think we have 45 plus hours oh wow. of a footage it's like it's really I don't know what to do with all this footage like we got to find somewhere else to go. This this should have been three hours long to try to like put Quinn into one documentary. What? The same <laughs> like this Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. <laughs> See? Wasn't it? Or like two and a half or something. It, yeah. Yes. Well, and he's recutting or, yeah, recutting and putting out an extended version. Of oh, Once he is? Yeah. Oh. Back into theaters. Crazy. Because he's Quinn and he can. I mean. Right. Now. I want to see it. No time has even gone by. Nobody does that. Like he does that. He's like, I'm going to do this now. Because it makes sense. Right? It doesn't make sense to the industry, but it makes sense to Quinn and it makes sense to Quinn's viewers. And he knows that. Right. So he changes how the industry works. I think it's, uh, he's, he's brilliant. That's cool. I can't mm -hmm. wait for it to come out. I want to see it. I've already seen the film twice in theaters. So, yeah. I saw it once with a packed audience and it was too much. I wanted to see it. That was fun, but I wanted to see it more where I could let certain scenes sink in. So it was better seeing it where there was just a few people around and then I could take ah. it in more. Because it, it was so high energy and there were so many people. That was cool, that's great energy, but then to really let the story kind of like sink in and, and you know, I think some of it's based on that time in LA and then some of it's sort of embellished, right? It's not a total recount of the, the Manson, Tate, you know. Oh. It, I think no, just I think some of it's mentioned, yeah. but. It's not like a full like historical recount. So mm -hmm. I just wanted to see, you know, and, and plus knowing that there is like so many opinions about it, you just it's just kind of interesting. I think something becomes more interesting. I want to see it more when there's either praise or criticism. I mean, maybe sometimes even criticism. I think it gets me to want to see something more. I, I want to watch it why. again since I want to watch it again anyway. But especially after the uh, conversation about. Margot Robbie's character not having enough lines. I can't believe that hasn't oh. just gone away yet. But I already have my opinion on that. But hmm. Well, she was supposed to be enjoying life. So maybe, yeah, there wasn't a lot to say, just enjoying it. So. Uh, I think it was a great decision, though. <laughs> and Matt, here's an, that, this is a great example of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't. 
imagine if he gave her excessive lines. That's true. Sharon Tate. Yeah. As we know her mm -hmm. and don't, right? If he just made her whatever. Could you imagine what people would have to say about that? Right. <laughs> right. They had crazy. things to say about other characters. Right. It, it, that, again, that, but that's her where, being who she is. And sure. That, and that's where I was bringing it back to the question of when the artist's work is clouded so much by their previous work and who sort of the audience thinks the artist is. Mm -hmm. And then there's uh, all know, these pot shots right. or different things that are taken. For him specifically, I think that's a great example of him not succumbing to that completely. If he has in other aspects, maybe. But that decision, I think, proves otherwise. Because he's robust, right? He's known for this. He's known for going and elaborating and not embellishing necessarily, but going big. And he's going to push it didn't. to the edge, right. But he, he left her right. to live there. <laughs> right. So I thought it was a brilliant decision. Yeah. Well, I but now maybe I extended. am biased. <laughs> I can't wait to see the extended version. So, What has been your hardest year as a filmmaker and why? <laughs> the best for last. <laughs> What's no been pressure. my hardest year as a filmmaker? Uh -huh. um, uh, 2017. Right? Yeah. And again, I have, to, I have to revisit with what made finishing this film difficult. Sure. Um, it, it, was, it was a very difficult year fighting um, for that film back, fighting for the documentary back. So any advice to other filmmakers who maybe they're not in the exact same situation with the same set of issues, but one where like the film hangs in the balance and they don't know what's going to happen? Um, I've touched on this with filmmakers a little bit. When it, when it comes down to something like that, um, or even close to a situation where your film is hanging, uh, some, you have to decide what's too precious or not. And if, if what you've just created is worth the fight that it needs to get it back. In, in this case, I learned enough about Quentin and um, what this film was saying, and I felt that it was definitely, it, it had a new drive to it and definitely was something I needed to fight for. Um, honestly, if it, was, if it was another director, possibly, and something like this happened, not as specific, obviously, uh, but it, it might have been, I might have sat and waited because there was time to wait, right? So I think you need to really pull yourself away from your passion as a filmmaker and take the whole thing into consideration and the life of the film and whether you need to push right now or you can sit and, and wait. Um, I hope that answers that. <laughs> it does, and probably knowing the the um, the level of the interviews that you got too. I mean, it's a, well, we uh, filmmakers can be very precious. It has to happen right now. It has to do this. It has to do that. It has because you feel that, and sometimes that's true. And I think sometimes you can stop. 
That's the best advice I, can, I think I, I can give because we, we will kill ourselves as filmmakers if we let it go too far. It's, you don't have to all the time.